The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. Cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 128 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie, and I am joined as always by my co-host out in LA, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, this is your favorite week of the year. How are you? Mock draft week, real draft week, but for our purposes, mock draft week. And you hate talking about the draft. You're kind of the Grinch, the draft Grinch. So I had this big idea. I'm like, I want to do a mock draft. And I don't want to like you begrudgingly making picks back to back with each other. So (laughs) I said, like, let's bring in some friends. Let's fill out this lottery board. Literally, we have 10 guests coming on. We each have two picks each. We're going to have 10 guests come in, make their picks. Everyone has a pick that comes in, treats it real seriously. And we're going to do the whole lottery on this draft. So it might go a little long as a podcast, but it's going to be ambitious. That's our, that's our goal. It's like the heaven's gate of podcasts. Zan, so I called Bovada Sportsbook and I said, set a line for the over-under for the length of this episode. And what do you think that line is? I say it's an hour and a half. Yeah, nine, 91 minutes is what they said, the over-under. So you take an over or under? Well, we'll see. And if you stop talking, you're trying to sabotage me here. Let, <laughs> let's just get going. And then we have a bunch of guests. We're going to go through the whole lottery, and then we'll come back at the end to recap. Okay. So we are leading off with pick number one. Why don't you preview who pick number one is, and then we will go right to it. Well, Minnesota, it's going to be Charles Schoonover, Schoonover, my friend. I still can't pronounce his last name. And then we're going to go through some guests. We got Kendall Baker. We got underdog guys. We got celebrated author Blake J. Harris, celebrated low lights guy, Budum. We have Dondrick Ellison. And then we saved the best for last, I think, Tal Boguer. Stats wonder kid picking at 14. So you're going to have to wait at least an hour and a half to hear that. So just can't yeah, scroll got- ahead. He's got the best odds of Bovada on being a future NBA GM. So uh, without further ado, we will kick it to Charles Schoonover and Zandrick for the number one pick. So at the top of the draft, Minnesota Timberwolves finally move up in the lottery, get the number one pick. You know, a rare opportunity for a franchise that has really not taken advantage of their transcendent big men yet. And here to change that the biggest Timberwolves fan I know, Charles Schoonover. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And you've been a fan since the beginning. You said you you remember the franchise starting. So you, that's how hardcore of a fan you are. Yeah, I was in elementary school when they started. Uh, I, had, so you, I had the water bottle and the Pooh Richardson poster on my wall and everything. And so there's been a lot of like potential that never got materialized. How do you think, you know, Gerson Rosas, the GM, has built this team, you know, they've redone it, kept Towns, gotten rid of Wiggins and brought in Russell as like the sidekick. How do you think the team looks right now? I I like I like Rosas. I like our GM a lot. And so I'm cautiously optimistic. Um I think he I think the moves he's made make sense toward a vision. I love Towns. I unapologetically think that Cat could be one of, if not the best, outside shooting big man if he keeps it up. 
Um, and he's also an excellent passer. And the idea of building a pick and roll around him and D'Lo, I think is really interesting. I have reservations about the type of player D'Lo is, but that's just kind of a personal style choice. Um, and for me, I'm hopeful because I think that Gerson's done a good job. And I think we do have a concrete vision that he's working toward. And that in itself, I think, is what good teams do is they make a decision. They're going to revolve around their best player and then they go for it. Yeah. And you see their style changing. They're shooting more threes. They're trying to be more like Houston um, and they're playing faster. And then so but then suddenly you get the number one pick, which is not expected. And so when you look at that, you try to find ways to complement the team that it is or do you think hey forget D'Lo this number one pick might be better we're going to try to find like a second superstar I I side toward complimenting what they're building because you have a running clock with Cat and they've been bad for a long time I don't really buy the just grab the best asset and figure it out we've been we've been figuring it out for decades you know so I I think that if the if the intent is a point guard center and three wings D'Lo and Carl Anthony Towns running the pick and roll, maximizing Cat, and then rounding out the rest of the roster around that. I don't think you veer from that. And you pick someone that fits that structure. You hope that they're at worst the third best option on the team. Hopefully more of a two-way or two If you're not as good as Josh Okogi, then you maybe didn't get the most out of this first pick. Um, but, and then- but because of that, I think Wiseman's out. And to be frank, I think Lamelo's out. Lamelo's interesting to think about, but that would be a move of, well, we've been building towards something, but now we're going to switch it up. And I don't want to do that. So those two are out for me, even though Lamelo's intriguing, because I would rather build toward the system that they're putting in place, which is not complete yet, but, but the moves make sense, right? Taking Culver, getting rid of Sarge, going out and getting Beasley and Hernan Gomez, that's all around this system. And so I would continue toward it. So which guys did you think were the met, right mix of talent and fit? What are like the top options you considered? I only had two. Um, Denny Avdita, Denny Avdija, sorry, and Anthony Edwards. Um, and I really like Denny. I've liked him for a while. And he's the player that I'm most afraid of looking back and wishing we had taken, but I couldn't get over the shooting. His free throw percentages are are not good. We already have that in Culver. And so even though I'm nervous to pass on him i ultimately passed on him and went for anthony edwards as the first pick the shooting guard from georgia and i think that's a good pick i mean you know electric score long arm thick you know potential all-star i think if it really depends on you know how good does he want to be how much work is he going to put in and you've done like you're a good gm you've done your homework on this kid do you think he has that in him i think he has enough potential in him you got to go for it and I don't think his floor is as low as people think. He was a stud high school prospect. Some of the comparisons I've seen for his floor, Waiters and Levine particularly, um, they were solid high school prospects. Like they were four-star, they were good. But he, is, he, out of high school, was considered a five-star, sure thing, top handful of players in his class player, despite playing football for the early stages of his life, meaning he didn't really go all in on basketball till high school. And so... I think that puts him on a little bit of a different level than some of the comparisons. Um, and also, as far as everything I've, I've read up on and, and asked you know, fans and friends, um, 
his character seems really strong too. He seems very coachable. He's very likable in interviews. The issues primarily are on court and almost kind of reminiscent of some of the Wiggins concerns. But in my opinion, the issue on Wiggins was more the contract than anything, especially if, if you're not expecting him to be the guy. So um, Edwards is one of those guys that you hear all the negatives and you get worried. And then the more you look into it, it's not that those negatives go away, but you realize that the, the floor is higher than people are saying. Yeah. And I think what and really the ceilings, locked- the ceilings amazing. Yes. I think he's a potential all-star. And I think one thing that really locked it in, you didn't mention it, but I think in the back of the mind, the Timberwolves thought maybe they had a steal with Malik Beasley. Maybe this guy's a stud 20 point score and he's had off the court. We don't have to get into it, off the <laughs> court issues. And maybe he's not as reliable as you think. So I think you could lock in Edwards as like your shooting guard, have a three headed monster of a score. And then, if you can't if you can't win with three stud scores, like you know, something's wrong in the foundation. So I think this is a good pick. Um, we really appreciate you coming on, Charles, and getting the ship turned in the right direction. We hope you can finally you know make the second round again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm excited for uh, many second round futures for the Timberwolves. And awesome. thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. The number one pick is in. Number two on the board. Golden State Warriors, the most forward-thinking team, probably. The hippest, the technologically savvy team. So we had to call in Kendall Baker from Axio Sports, probably the hippest forward-thinking guy we know. Welcome back, Kendall Baker. Thank you. And I, I was in San Francisco for the last five years. I'm now in D.C., but this makes me even So you were doing your research. Yes. I and know it was all for this. We didn't want one. We didn't want to tell anyone, but you really, we wanted to send you in, like embed you in the yes. city to get a vibe for this mock draft. I know what all the bandwagon fans in San Francisco who aren't actually from San Francisco want. <laughs> and you always have your finger on the pulse. So just really quick, like plug for your stuff, Axios Sports. Yeah. You know, it's like a newsletter you send out. It's like, I just remember when I was a kid, I would watch like Sports Center every night. And I'm like, I need to know what's going on in sports, like an hour long synopsis and you do that in basically five minute daily email correct yeah um, it's like if you could watch sports center but uh fast forward through the commercials or only watch the first segment or only watch the third segment yeah it is in many ways sports center in a newsletter i think the difference the one difference content wise is i do try to blend sports business in there a little bit more than your you know typical sports center episode would so Every day is kind of this balance of, you know, your typical sports news. Here's what happened yesterday in the NFL, but also, you know, some business stuff, sports betting, you know, some of these other things, media rights, things like that, that I find fascinating. I think my readers do as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is a fascinating pick. Number two, you're sitting at. Yes, it is. And because they're the only team, Golden State's the only team really that's thinking about maybe winning the title next year. So many different options. And we restricted you. We like tied one hand behind your back. You're not allowed to trade. Mm-hmm. In real life, is that would that be your instinct to trade this pick for a veteran or trade back? Well, I think it depends on who goes one. So if we assume that Edwards goes one, then yeah, I Edwards think, has officially gone one. Yeah, so I do think yeah, the Warriors are sitting at two because I do think in my mind Edwards is is uh, would would make a lot of sense to the Warriors just because he's like you know that guy that ceilings extremely high, um, you know efficiency maybe is not there, but he he feels like that type of guy is like the perfect like. Eighth, eighth guy on a potential contender that with a very high ceiling, but yeah, if he's off the board, I don't think anybody is like 
close to being the ideal fit, they might look to trade. And obviously, as you said, them being contenders, they might flip that asset for, you know, some, some pieces. Yeah. You know, and I, everyone's so polarizing. I agree with you. Edwards would have been an interesting fit. Like I, I heard somebody compare his body type really to Harden and, you know, Harden was in that kind of situation early on for Oklahoma city where he could come off the bench and be a scorer and then eventually take the reins of his own team. I think that would be obviously best case scenario for Edwards. Yeah. Um, but now he's gone. So you have to go to plan B. What, what are you thinking here? What are you, who are you considering? So my, I, I pretty much narrow this down to, um, um, Denny Abdiya from Israel and James Weissman. Um, I think that's, you know, no, no hot takes there. I think those both are, you know, consensus top five, maybe Abdiya is a little, a little lower, uh, in most mock drafts, but, you know, consensus top five guys, very different, obviously, um, but I think filled two needs for the Warriors and are, and are also kind of win now ish players. You know, they're not these projects like some of these guys are. And so, you, one notable name that's not on the list, Lamelo. You're just not buying the fit, or you don't buy the player. Both. I, I, I don't buy. I don't buy the. I, I think it's very easy to say you don't buy the player. I think it's very easy to hate him. Uh, for kind of no apparent reason, but so I'll, I'll say more. I don't. I just don't like the fit. I just don't think the Warriors need another another ball handler and another uh, not just ball handler, but from my from my view, and you know, I'm not a draft analyst, but as you know, the amount that I've watched him does feel like one of those guys who feels most comfortable with the ball in his hands. And I think you're you're bringing in at that age who needs the ball in his hands and is going to take the ball away from Steph or any of these other guys on the Warriors right now who, you know, can handle the ball and need it. Uh, I just don't think that makes sense for a team looking to contend right now. So, yeah, that makes sense. And so Wiseman or Denny, are you looking probably at like a fourth or fifth starter right now? Maybe, um, mm-hmm. obviously different skill sets. So where, where do you go? Where are you telling Bob Myers to go right now? I'm going with Denny. Interesting. I like it. And, and, and it's a little bit, you know, I think, I think people, if they would have taken a poll right there, they probably would have said, I was going with Weissman. I think, you know, he's an easier kind of plug and play, right? I think um, he's, he's very similar, well, different, but similar to kind of the Kevon Looney role for them. Um, he would be, I think, better defensively, though I am a little concerned. Uh, the games that I did watch him, he has, obviously doesn't have a ton of tape, but like he, he was a little suspect in the pick and roll. Um, and then on offense, Weissman is a little suspect as a passer, and I think you have to be a really strong passer in Steve Kerr's offense uh, to take them to the kind of that next level. Otherwise, I feel like he's kind of just another you know athlete to throw out there, and again, gives you good minutes on the defensive end. But I wouldn't see him kind of change the offense. Whereas I think Denny to me represents almost like an Andre Iguodala type player. I mean, he's six nine. He can handle the ball. He can play the three. He can play the four. He can play the two probably even play the one he's also been playing professionally since he was 16 we go back to a team that wants to contend like you know especially i i don't want to use luca Doncic and say you know he's a template for all he's got to follow but i mean the more we see these guys come over and immediately make an impact it just is a constant reminder of the importance of having played professionally for years versus versus even college so i mean he's been playing professionally since 16 like four years almost as a professional he has that experience. And yeah, I just think that versatility and particularly like playmaking ability passing is 
huge for a Steve Kerr offense if you can step in and kind of be a playmaker and somewhat of a kind of versatile, can play multiple positions type guy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The comp to Igudala, I think old Igudala, maybe, you know, not the jump out of the gym Igudala. Yeah. Um, blend in. And I think you're right. Like if you, you know, all these high school kids like James Weissman, for example, like he's used to being the star of every team he's been on, the best player on every team he's ever been on. And to go as a professional 16 year old, you're playing against guys who are a little bigger and stronger than you. And you kind of have to learn other skills like the passing you mentioned. I think it's definitely going to help him. I think fit wise, it makes a lot of sense. You can go play traditional if you want. You can go to the sort of the death lineup with um, a little Israeli couscous influence there. Um, I think that's a good pick. And I think, you know, it makes sense for the, for the win now aspect because he's a guy who's been pretty productive in limited minutes. And then hopefully down the road, he becomes more of a star for you and certainly a guy who would be a commercial hit in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, I think the one concern with him, uh, big concern, is, is shooting. I think he's like shot like 55% from, from, the, from the free throw line or something. One season, I, I, I don't, I don't go Yeah, it's that. weird because his like three point shooting is okay. His free throw yeah. shooting has been bad, but it's like a very limited sample size. Yeah, but but I think I've read plenty in the past. Like free throw shooting is a very strong indicator of just like that's just like your pure kind of form. You know, take all these other factors out of it, and that being so low is a little concerning in terms of just like ceiling as a shooter. But I mean, again, Andre Iguodala not that great of a shooter, clutch shooter. He's not that great of a shooter. Um, even Sean Livingston, you think about, you know, you think of the, what the Warriors offense is known for, but then you had a guy like Sean Livingston thrive in that offense for multiple years as a guy who can't shoot for his life. Um, but was that kind of like six, nine playmaker? Like, so yeah, he's kind of, now that I'm saying it out loud, he's like Iguodala, but he's also maybe a little bit Sean Livingston as well, just in terms of, you know, fitting into that Warriors offense and giving you a little bit of a different look as a, as a ball handler when stuff's off the court. Yeah, and I hope we see that next year from the Warriors. I hope they're all healthy and we can kind of see, like, obviously they're a better team with Durant, but that sort of beautiful sort of basketball, that the ball sharing makes a lot of sense. And I'll tell you, I didn't, I didn't know who you're going to pick. I was telling Tyler, my co-host, I don't think he's going to go with Weissman. Kendall Baker, too, too advanced <laughs> to go with the center, although I like Weissman. It's just not, it wouldn't be on, trend, on brand for you, I don't think. And again, I, I, I really do think, and this is, again, I'm not a draft analyst, but I do watch a weird amount of uh, film of these guys. And he, he really doesn't, at least from what I've seen, he's not like that. It doesn't seem like he's very offensively kind of aware yet. He, 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 he doesn't like have that natural like passing ability or really kind of like presence that you sometimes see in like these young big big men in college where just you can just automatically see they're going to be you know 25 and 12 guys um so that's that was if you would have had that maybe that bumps him up for me okay now all of a sudden the Warriors have a seven footer who can you know play in that offense and change things for them uh but I I just don't see that happening for him right out the gates I gotcha. Well, that, that's a good pick. I think it's smart. It's bold, but it, it makes sense. Um, and that's the kind of analysis you get. Kendall Baker, Axios Sports. Google just Axios Sports. Get the newsletter. Subscribe. Thanks sports, so much, Kendall. Sports, sports.axios.com. Oh, there you go. There's an official one. Um, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
So now we're on the third pick. Charlotte Hornets are on the clock. And we're bringing back Tyler Laurie, the co-host of the show, and, and a guy who's friendly with the Charlotte Hornets staff. Can we say that? Yes. And you're also kind of Southern, right? Are you? No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> kind of a draw. I'm kind I lived of more than South. I do. I mean, I lived in the South for five years. Yeah, so you're more Charlotte than I am, right? So that's why you're in charge of this pick. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and also, they need a lot of help. And I think you're more equipped to do that than I am. Because you have, you know, a team that overachieved, still didn't make the playoffs, need a star, do you find one in this kind of draft? Um, so on the board are some big names, LaMelo, James Weissman, maybe Obi Toppin. When you were looking at this pick, were you torn at all? Or do you think this is an obvious selection? I mean, based on how the draft has gone so far, I think it's a very obvious selection for Charlotte because I think that you need to swing for the fences, right? They need a lot of help. Like there are, uh, they, they might be the, the least talented team in the NBA just from like a pure talent standpoint. I think they're well coached. Obviously I'm biased in that regard, but I think like if Danny Avija is going to go second, I think Charlotte is going to take LaMelo ball like very, very, I mean, I think they should, I, I can't speak to their front office of course, but I think that well, you're they the front office in this exercise and right. you are officially I, taking LaMelo. I think LaMelo ball has got to be the pick. So I'm going with LaMelo ball. I think you get, I've talked about this before. I think there's a very credible argument for him to be one on, on everyone's boards. I think he is very much what people thought Sean Livingston was going to be back in 2004 before a terrible knee injury. He's probably a better shooter than Livingston was despite his odd form, not quite the athlete, but he is a good athlete. And then, like I said, I think his passing is the, single best skill in the draft. So although I don't know if you can win the NBA title with a point guard being your best player, I think that LaMelo Ball has very much has superstar potential. And to get that at the third pick, I think is something that I at least wouldn't expect it. So I'm pretty excited about it as the current acting GM of the Charlotte Hornets. Definitely star potential. I agree with you there. You know, whatever he is, six six, six seven. He's not um, that tall. I, I would say right. like six five. Okay, well, even 6'5 is good size. And, the, and you're right about the passing. If you go watch even just highlights, like he does make like visionary passes, um, highlight real passes. Can I give you my one concern about LaMelo if we have time? Yeah, we um, definitely have time. I would, I I would say, by him. the way, hold on real quick. I would say, by the way, uh, based on Bovada, the over-under for your concerns on LaMelo Ball was like six. So if you have one, I feel good about the pick. What is the over-under? It's It's... I would guess two and a half or something. What is that? Well, I thought it, two, I thought it was two. two and oh half. yeah. We got to go check. Cause they get updated all the time. based on rumors to so go check on that. Um, I just watch him and he seems, I said this before on our last podcast or two podcasts ago, he seems so young um, in terms of his personality and um, which is understandable again, 19. Um, but I just worry because like based on this, what he did efficiency wise in Australia, if he comes out of the gates, really struggles that first year, which I think it's fair to presume, like what happens? Like, does he handle it well? Does the team handle it well? Does his dad handle it well? Yeah. You got Terry Rozier and, and you know, Devontae Graham is like the quote unquote stars of the team. Do they handle this guy coming in jacking up shots? Well, I just fear the sort of negative backlash. But if he, I think if he can sustain, withstand that, then obviously there's star potential at the end of the road. I do want to throw this out here. Like LeVar Ball aside, and he has not been in the media much at all. I think that's been a very dramatic shift from what we've seen. 
there is no evidence that LaMelo Ball is a bad teammate, right? And there was never any evidence about Lonzo Ball, right? His teammates loved him. They loved the way he played. So I don't think that we're going to see a situation that LaMelo is going to come in and not be well-liked. I do think there is a very good chance he struggles early. He's, he's got a very thin frame. He's going to be 19 years old at the start of the NBA season. We know it's going to be December 22nd now. So he's going he's to get drafted and have a month to – acquit himself to what the NBA is like. Uh, he's been a pro for, you know, I don't know, a couple of years. Spire, I mean, Spire got, Institute is Spire Academy's kind of a pro. Deal on, as well. I think both his international teams early. I'd, but I will say that if you want to, if you want to talk about concerns, just from a, just from a standpoint, right. and I'll do 30 seconds on actual concerns. Uh, the lack of the ability to get to the rim and finish, I think is a big concern. I do. I've said before, I really like his float game. I think he's a creator, creative finisher, but he's not big and strong. I worry about the frame. And then I do worry about, if he's ever going to be able to be more of a volume scorer at the NBA level, I think those are a problem. And I think the turnovers are a problem too, but I think that's just you getting adjusted to the speed of the game. He's played high level basketball for a long time. His kids logged a lot of minutes. I, I would not be worried about him figuring it out. I would be worried about him figuring out quickly though. Like I do think if you take LaMelo ball, you're recognizing that he's 19 years old and you're recognizing that you want him as part of your franchise for 10 to 15 years, because you want 23 year old peak LaMelo ball to be a superstar. And so you got to be pumped the brakes a little bit on what you get right away. This is not a guy I'd expect to win the rookie of the year. I'll just say that. Yeah. And the sad thing is like ESPN and first take and everyone would like gleefully report on him going, you know, one for 10 one night and like make it like a Lamella bust bust watch, but big swing. Certainly they need it. I think that pick makes sense. Thanks Tyler. We'll talk to you later in the draft. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on my own show. (laughs) All right. Coming up next. Midwestern teams at four and five. We have Chicago and Cleveland right next to each other, matching up, same conference, same level of dysfunction almost. And so to do that, we brought in a tag team, I think, to take these two teams, Chris and Anshu from the main show, the main underdog show. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, doing great. And your show, the underdog show sports show you could just google it look for it it's sort of like the the thing that launched us all it's like the law and order to our svu right you guys talk about every sport including basketball i like to think of us as the the website's version of sports center we talk about whatever is interesting honestly it may or may not be interesting to the people who are listening on any given day but whatever interests us whatever's going on nothing's off the table except for hockey Screw hockey. <laughs> and which, if you were a sports center, because Kendall Baker from Axios Sports described his newsletter as Sports Center. If you guys were a pair, which pair would you be on Sports Center? Which old school Sports Center hosts? Oh, oh that's tough, man. Matt Barry and Ellie Duncan. I'm I'm <laughs> Ellie Duncan. <laughs> I wouldn't even know. It's hard to watch Sports Center now because you know everything already going into it. I, I feel like it's it, uh, there's no way to answer that question without coming off as pretentious, right? Because you want to say that. You are someone you like, but that is inevitably someone who is exponentially better than you at what you do. Well, that's sort of the draft, right? Like Lonzo Ball has to be Jason Kidd and, you know, anyone who's skinny is Kevin Durant. Like you have to find like the best version to compare people to. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Anshu. They they don't hit there. This is, this is not a draft for the, the upside. That's true. Well, it's interesting because Anshu, you're taking Chicago at four. And there's a lot of talent here, assorted talent, new GM, new coach. Going into this pick, like, is there a position of need or are you just going best player available here? 
I mean, I think you have to go best player available if you're Carson Elvis. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's, that's always been his policy, whether it's trading around and ultimately identifying who that guy is. He traded down almost every year in Denver when he was on that, in that front office. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that again here. I personally am partial to LaMelo Ball. I know that they've got some ball handlers, but um, my hunch is that he won't be there. And even if he is, I'm not sure that that's the guy that they've identified. I, I kind of feel like they're kind of like this hipster front office that I'm expecting to, to move down the, the board and get their guy with. It would be interesting to see LaMelo and Zach Levine together. I, it probably could work. I don't know. But he on, in our exercise, he's off the board. He's off in Charlotte. So now you're... The top two guards are not there. Denny's not there. The world is your oyster, I guess. There's a lot of different polarizing prospects. Have you, is there a couple that you're really thinking about that you were torn between? Well, I think, you know, the, the elephant in the room quite literally is, is obviously Wiseman still being there on the board. And um, I, I do think that, you know, like, I guess I'm, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here when I say you want to take the best player available. And that seems like talent wise, it's probably Wiseman. But when you have, you know, Wendell Carter and Laurie Markinen and some of the other pieces they've got. And the fact that it's not that hard to find a good rim running big these days. Um, my hunch is to go a different direction. And I've, I've got a guy that I'm very excited about for the Bulls here at four. Well, Chris is, he told me before you showed up that he is hoping you don't take somebody that he's called the best player. Maybe, you know, cause you guys do a oh, show yeah. together. Um, but you you can potentially break his heart right now. Who is the official pick for the Bulls? I think I'm going to. I know that he's this guy's grown on him. I've been a fan of his since the beginning, uh, which was like a month ago. But Killian Hayes, I think, is just tailor-made for this Bulls team in terms of his rawness and the way that he can fit in. I love having kind of a left-dominant player, too, uh, relative to some of their other pieces. And I just think he... It makes so much sense when you look at, you know, they've been tied to Advedia, but, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I think that this this player makes a lot of sense uh, for this Bulls team. And I think that, you know, his his ceiling is higher than probably any others, in my opinion. Just, I'm not sure that he'll reach it to, to bring this conversation full circle. I don't know if he's like a an SVP in the future, but I think that he's, you know, he's going to be a really interesting player. And I, I'll, I'll gamble on that uniqueness, and I think the Bulls would too. Um, it makes sense. And Chris, why do you, you don't get your guy, Killian, but why would you love this pick for Anshu? Uh, I don't get my guy for a team that I don't really care about, so I'm not too heartbroken about it. But, you know, I just think his upside is significantly higher than anybody else in a relatively weak draft class. People point to Anthony Edwards, and I, I just don't understand the hype for Anthony Edwards. I really don't. I get that he's probably the safest bet to be a 20-plus point scorer in the NBA out of this draft class. But I don't see it being done efficiently. He takes terrible shots. The shot selection is horrible. He's borderline completely disinterested in defense. His absolute upside to me, if we're talking about, you know, if he hits every single peak, it feels like Zach Levine to me. And they already have that guy. So I, I don't I don't get the benefit in that. Hayes, Hayes is interesting because there are two players in this draft who are Basically, poor man's versions and carbon copies, but poor man's versions of current NBA players. One of them is Killian Hayes to James Harden. He wants to be James Harden so badly. And you can see how much it's influenced his game over uh, over the past couple of years, especially as he's really grown as a player. I'll admit that I wasn't very high on Hayes when we talked 
probably even six months ago, but where he has come as an 18, well, 18 now, 19 year old, uh, is, is really, really impressive. I am, I'm, I'm super excited about the skill set that he has, but I do wonder if it's kind of like that Kevin Porter Jr. skill set a little bit too, getting to the Cavaliers in that you see the highlight plays, you see those flashes that are going to make sports center, but you don't necessarily see the consistency right now. I, I do worry a little bit about Hayes in that regard, but I think he's better than LaMelo in every single facet, except for he's a slightly worse passer. Uh, and that just makes him a much safer prospect in my mind. And, uh, you know, the, the prospect who I think can be a superstar in this draft. I think it's a good pick. I, I'm not as high on Hayes as you guys are. I mean, he's polarizing. I mean, like, he's going to test the theory about, like, shooting. Because his three-point shooting was bad, 29%, 88% from the line. And a lot of people think that's more indicative. But great size, you know, pro experience. Theoretically, he would go play with Billy Donovan, who, you know, develops young guys. That's what he did before he came. Um, so I, it certainly fits the mold. I, I kind of like Chris Dunn as a rotational player, but if you can get a complete package at the point guard position, that's a potential home run pick. And so now we go to Cleveland, who has taken two guards already, back to back. I would ask you this, Chris, if, if Hayes was available, would you have said, who cares? Just take him anyway. I'll take a point guard no matter what. Without a second's hesitation. And so you're not even looking at team needs. You're thinking who I have at the top of my board here at this pick. Well, that's exactly right. This Cavs team is so far away from being good that they need superstars. That's the most important thing in the NBA. You have to add superstars. And, you know, I don't know that there's a guy on this roster right now that has the potential to be that. So I'm going to gamble highest upside possible. And I would have gone with Hayes without a doubt. So who are you going with? And then maybe Anshu will critique you afterwards. Hey, I'm, I'm all for that. You know, I, I think we're overthinking James Wiseman, quite frankly. He probably shouldn't be on the board at five. I'll take him off here. This Cavs team isn't super strong at the center position. They have Drummond for one more year as he opted in, $28.7 million, But he's clearly gone after this. Kevin Love can play the four next to Wiseman. It works for me. I know the concerns are small sample size, and he did only play three games last year, and those three games weren't exactly against the toughest competition, two of them being uh, South Carolina State and UIC. Plays that Oregon game, and people people sort of use the Oregon game as a knock against him, but he played 22 minutes, scored 14 points, and uh, got 12 rebounds and a block in his first ever like major college game. I don't see how that's a bad thing. I know he wasn't super efficient, and I know that's also the the one game where he actually took and missed his only three of his college career. But James Wiseman is just, I think he's the next highest upside player on the board. And uh, I don't highest see ranked. And it's polarizing because he's a center. And I guess that's, you know, mm-hmm. polarizing in its own right. Tyler, our co-host, um, treats centers like running backs in football. He like really doesn't care about them at all. I, I'm more mixed on that. I think a good defensive center could really cover some flaws and Garland and, and Sexton. Anshu, what do you think of Wiseman? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been mad if the Bulls went with him at four or I went with him at four, I guess. I, I mean, I think that, that, you know, he's – I get what you're saying. I, I don't quite go that far with saying that he's like a running back, but I think that he's, you know, he's, he's still really young. We didn't even get a chance to see him. There's a chance that he would have had such a great college season that he would have been the no questions asked number one pick. And I mean, it's like, I think that we're ignoring that fact a little bit. Um, I think at five, it's an absolute steal. And especially as Chris said, like the way that Cavs team is built, 
I think it makes perfect sense. So I, I really like the pick. I don't even know if there's a close second with who's on the board here at this stage. Yeah, I kind I kind of wanted to go on Gakwu just to he, make it he's interesting. coming up. He he might be picked six. I would guess. It seems like there's like a top six or seven, and then after that, it's sort of the wild west. It mm-hmm. also, um, I, you know, I've got some Cavs friend fans, and I, I they like they like Obi Toppin, and I know that he's like yeah. from around there. He's older. I don't know how neatly he fits on that roster, but I mean, he you got to think that he'll come in and make an impact wherever he's at. And I think the Cavs fans are very very sick of losing as much as they have without getting any big time like blue chip type prospects. Can I tell you who Toppin reminds me of as just sort of coming into the NBA is Michael Carter Williams. He's going to be basically a finished product as soon as we get him. And there's even a chance that he could win rookie of the year next year because he's going to score points. He's going to be horrible defensively. No question about that, but he's going to score points. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't see the upside there. I get wanting to stop losing. I don't think Toppin is necessarily a clean fit with this Cavs team because you can't really play him and Kevin Love on the, at the same time. That's just horrible front court defense. So, uh, yeah, I and Gakwa would have been my next guy. And thinking about Isaac Okoro and people like that as well. But yeah, this is this is a no brainer for Wiseman. Well, it's I was hoping you guys would fight about stuff like old school part of my take, but it's the love fast here. You guys both like each other's picks. They're great now. Only one though. If you want, if you want more of this, not even the odd couple, the happily married couple. Underdog Sports. Thanks so much for jumping on, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Now, with the six pick, we're bringing in Zandrick Ellison, myself. I wanted to get in on this. It's one of the reasons I wanted to do this whole exercise so I could make fake picks um, and not just talk it with myself. So, Wait, has, has Travis Schlank not hired you yet? This is fake. <laughs> um, that voice you hear is Tyler Laurie. He's back. Just to be background noise, be the Greek chorus, possibly criticizing my future pick here. Being the peanut gallery is one of my greatest. <laughs> you love this. The pressure's off you. You've already made, we each get two picks. You already made your first pick. You're feeling good in the green room right now. I feel good. I, yeah, I definitely feel we're not Aaron Rodgersing it in there, like sweating, having the camera away from us. I feel really good. Um, so the six pick Atlanta Hawks. I thought this is an interesting spot. Obviously defense is a big concern. They finished in the bottom three the last couple of years. And there's a few prospects on the board that could potentially help. Tyrese Halliburton, I think, can play alongside Trey Young, um, even though he's listed as a point guard. Devin Vassell is one of my favorite prospects at the wing. But the guy I'm going to go with is a defensive guy, a big guy, who I think is just a little bit better of an overall player. So I'm going to lean to Onyeka Okongwu from USC to come in, play power forward, mostly play center for us. Tyler Laurie, what's your gut reaction? I'm surprised to see that pick. I think there's a couple things with Okongwu that would make me be okay with it. Like, I think there are a lot of people that think he could be like Bam and he can cover on the perimeter and he makes his free throws. But it's an interesting thing with Atlanta, I guess. If you're making this pick, Zan, you feel like Atlanta's going to go all in defensively to protect Trey Young. Like they're going to have Trey Young run their offense and they think that's going to be good enough. And then they're going to take a Kongwu and assume that he's going to be a good enough defensive anchor for them. My question to you is with Clint Capella in the mix, does this make Clint Clint Capella expendable? Or do you think in your, your logic here is that they're going to try to play them both or not, not necessarily both at the same time, but like they're mix it. You're right. Their long-term goal is to have two guys who can play the five. You're right to highlight those two issues. So I, I do agree that, 
I don't think you need to overcorrect and take like defensive only prospects because I think every team should have try to have often offensive threats from one to five. But Trey Young, I think, is just such a bad defender, and he's never going to be a good defender. That you do need to do something drastic to help him. And I don't think, as much as I like Tyrese Halliburton, I don't think that's enough. I don't think Devin Vassell's enough. They drafted Cam Reddish and DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter last year to help, and that should eventually. But I think you need somebody like fundamentally helpful. And I think a shot blocker like a Congo, we blocked almost three shots a game last year. He's switchable as a big guy. I think it should help. And then yeah. my concern is the same as yours. You traded for Clint Capella. He's locked up for three years. John Collins is playing more as a five. He's maybe going to get a big extension. So it's crowded there. Yeah. Um, I just think let's take the guy sorted out from there. I think all those guys are tradable if need be. I just want to figure out which two of these three I want to keep going forward, like which are the most impactful and then um, lock that in. And then I think Capella is tradable. I think John Collins is tradable or you can just let him go in free agency. Yeah. He's a restricted Um, free agent next year. I think a Kongu is a bet going to be projected. Who knows as a better overall player than Capella. I think he's a little more skilled offensively. Obviously he's younger. There's a little bit more in the tank. I don't think he's bam offensively but i think he's closer to to that than capella will ever be yeah i don't think they're the passing is is not close like i i would i would say like if we were making lines for bovada like i would say that the career best for a kong Wu as like an assist guy is like two and a half per game like he he's not nearly the passer you can't run your offense through him uh he does have a little bit more to his game there is some like i think that people believe he can become a good three-point shooter based on his free throw shooting i don't know how traditionally that hasn't translated quite as much with bigs as it has with maybe worse three-point shooters from the wing and the guard spot, you know? But I, I mean, from an advanced analytics standpoint, like uh, Big O is like one of the best prospects in the draft, I think, just in terms of if you look at him and you look at his production and you look at the guys in college that have had similar production to him at his position, they're all, they're good players. Like, and, and I think that... Yeah. And uh, like, aside from the assists, he does compare statistically to Bam. I also, yeah, you know, what size, I like his mentality. Like, size, blocks, motor, you know, scoring, like all that stuff is similar other than the passing. And I, I would say basketball IQ. Yeah. Well, and also I like that he, you know, he, you took LaMelo at three and these two actually played together at Chino Hills. And I like that because he's, this is a rare prospect who's used to playing with somebody who's a bigger star on his team and not trying to hog the spotlight, kind of doing his job. Like Bill Belichick would say. And so he kind of has the same thing here with Trey Young, where he's like, hey, I'm going to be a lob guy. I'm going to be a rebounder. I'm going to be a shot blocker. I've been in that role. I'm comfortable with that role. And hopefully he grows into more than that. But I see very low, uh, very high floor with him. Obviously, yeah. the team fit, you have to figure out. But I just don't see him being anything other than like a long-term starter. All right. I, I, can, go, I can get on board. All right. Thank you very much. I give your tentative approval. You give me maybe a C plus grade, but I'll take it. It's passing. Uh, let's keep moving. Thanks, Tyler. Now up with the seventh pick, the Detroit Pistons. You know, it's a city that's going through a change of industry. It's a franchise going through a change of industry. Do they rebuild? How do they rebuild? And so who's the perfect person to talk about sea changes in business and otherwise? Blake J. Harris, celebrated author of Console Wars about Nintendo and Sega's battle in business. 
history of the future about AI. You have a new book coming out about Larry David who changed the industry of comedy. Blake J. Harris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I guess I like to write about disruptors. And so I should be looking to pick a disruptor, someone who's going to pick up my terrible franchise. And, and uh, I guess, I don't know where it's going to take us because I would like to say, help us get like the eighth seed, but that's what we did a year and a half ago and lost and got swept by the bucks. But uh, so, you know, there's still some pretty good options here. Um, And uh, you know, I, I was, at first, I was thinking that it was like a no-brainer. I would pick Obi Toppin. It got, you know, what's the downside there? But <laughs> as I was doing more research and I kept looking at photos and videos of Obi Toppin, I thought, oh, this guy is not even an original human. He's just a clone. It's Jared Sollinger in disguise. So wow. I don't need to pick Jared Sollinger again. But <laughs> check it out. They look like they're very similar. Um, so I'm going to f- follow my grandfather's advice and just do what Dick Cheney would do. And I'm going to go with Halliburton here. <laughs> seventh pick, we're going to take, take Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa State. And so you, obviously the guy's talented, you know, and I heard ESPN's draft um, express compare him. Like he's kind of like what Lonzo ball was supposed to be just like a good passer, good shooter, long team guy. I was curious about your just team building here. Cause you're right. Like Detroit, it's like they're a sinking ship, like literally like sinking down from the eighth seed slowly to the bottom. They're not at the bottom yet. And when you rebuild like that, are you looking for like a solid single or double, or are you trying to find a home run here? It's a good question. I I mean, I I feel like uh, I know that I'm drafting as the Pistons and trying to get into that persona, but you know that I'm really a Knicks fan and that's like, or I, I guess whatever you call someone who's been a fan of something for a long time and knows that there's no hope. But, like, it's kind of a similar situation because the Pistons don't really have any players on the team that are necessarily going to be there in a few years. Like, they don't have those building blocks. They maybe have, like, you know, like, building blocks that could be useful. But I guess, like, what I'm thinking to do, and then I want to get your opinion on this after, is, like, I, I would like, I would like, you know, as everyone would want, like, I would like someone where I'm swinging for the fences, but at the worst case, I'm ending up with a double, which is, like, you know doesn't really exist that much in life where you have a, a high ceiling and a high floor. And right. that, that's how I feel on Halliburton. And I guess like the best case, the best example of this, and per, perhaps the guy that screws up the whole perception of this is like Donovan Mitchell. Like I would have said, I, you know, not, I don't think any of us really thought he was going to be the star that he turned out to be, but we all sort of thought like he's a rotation player. He's, he works in this modern day league and that's sort of how I see Halliburton. But, but what I wanted to get your opinion on is like, like when I when I watch Halliburton play, I love his command. I love his basketball IQ. I love that he's just a guy that seems to make players better or not take anything off the table. And and like I'm using a lot of these adjectives and descriptors that remind me of like the last player that I felt so confident with. And and I guess like I feel so wrong about was Denzel Valentine from Michigan mm. State. Like I still like I Denzel like- Valentine. Yeah. Yeah, but like I feel like I'm liking Michigan State Valentine. Like I, I remember watching Valentine and thinking like this guy could be a home run or maybe a triple, but like worst case, he's gonna be a double. Like this is a guy who's gonna play, he's right. gonna be a contributor, he's gonna be one of those like Shane Battier, Draymond Green, maybe not as good, but like a guy that's like always like like a plus. And I don't feel like that's panned out. And I I don't well, really I, know why. I think a lot of the I totally understand that. Denzel Valentine was like you look at him as as a college player, did everything well. And yeah. low upside, maybe. But I think a lot of that had to do with injuries. I think his like, knees are pretty shot at this point. 
Um, but I, I agree with your logic about Halliburton because it's like a, he's a kid as a freshman. He played off the ball, sort of like a glue guy. So he can do that. This last year, he was like the field general. He could do that. And he's a very rare guard prospect that he doesn't need the ball to be successful. So if somehow you get LeBron James next year, he can be that like George Hill 3 and D guard. And if you don't, he can run your offense. I think that's really rare. And versus like a point guard prospect like Dennis Smith Jr., for example, it's like maybe right. he can be a star, but if he's not, like he might not be one of your top seven guys. Like it's just like a wasted pick. Right. So with Halliburton, I think he could be your fourth or fifth guy at worst case. Yeah, um, and, I, and, it's, and it's interesting you say that and you're sort of pointing out something that I'm, I'm realizing, which is like my own personal bias for better or for worse. Like I feel like I, you know, I was texting with you and Tyler once and I like sort of like jokingly, but half serious saying like, if I was going to start an NBA franchise, this was maybe a year or two ago, like my top pick would be like Clay Thompson. Cause he's like someone that like, you'll get whatever superstar, but he's always going to be fine because he doesn't need the ball and he'll be able to make the most. So I know that I have like a bias towards players that don't seem selfish, who don't need the ball. So it seems like they're always going to like just be helping you. And particularly with the case of us and the Detroit Pistons, where I don't really know where we're going. Maybe Luke Kennard will turn out to be, you know, the next Dirk Nowitzki. No, I mean, maybe something will happen and we'll be in a position where we're competing and then having, you know, not putting that pressure on Halliburton or knowing that he's going to be okay and not complaining about not getting the ball is like attractive to me. But again, that's like me right. realizing my own body. Well, it is keeping your options open. It's like drafting a defensive lineman in football. You could always take one again next year. Um, and so I took, I was Atlanta just this last pick and I was kind of annoyed that they had traded for Clint Capella last season. Cause it like boxes you into a corner. It's like, you really can't draft another center now, even though I did. Um, but Halliburton, you could do that. If you know, some superstar point guard comes along next year, take him. Uh, and he could still, still fit. So I think this is a good pick. Blake, I'm going to let you go. Go talk to Larry David. With the eighth pick, the marquee franchise in the New York area, still at least, I would say, until Brooklyn proves us otherwise. New York Knicks, we had to call in a real pro, a real star of the social media world, Budum. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and you all know Budum because he does low lights, famously, infamously. Um, you can go to Dareel Budum with a D, Dareel. And then you have your own podcast, Per 36 Pod. Do you do that weekly or, or how often? Um, no, we like should be doing it weekly. We're always trying to do it weekly. It is not weekly, but we'll try to get it more frequently. Well, it's going to be a weird off season because everything's so condensed. Um, and then last time we talked to you about the Knicks, because that's like your specialty. I think it was before the whole... Thibodeau higher and then the CP3 rumors and the Russell Westbrook rumors. Like, do you feel like they've turned the corner and they're a different kind of organization or does this feel like the same old Knicks to you? Um, I mean, kind of both. Like, I mean, as I, on the Per 36 podcast, if you want to check that out, we had on Howard Beck and he brought up a pretty good point, I thought, which is like, it, it, I mean, a lot of it is similar stuff because, like, when you look at who they got, it's, you know, Leon Rose, who is like, you know, Tibbs' buddy, you know, like a former agent, which obviously has worked, but still. Like, is this a lot of like big name, flashy stuff? So like in that sense, it is kind of similar stuff. We At the same time, there kind of does seem to be some like different level of competence. Like, because, you know, also like. I most of the high I, I'm not a fan of the Thibodeau hire, but like every other hire I think is like pretty great. It's pretty like respected guys. Like 
there's definitely more of like an emphasis on player development and um you know seemingly analytics with like brock oller and alex klein so like yes and no like i'm not so i'm not i'm not necessarily like you know overly optimistic but i'm not necessarily pessimistic i just like i'm kind of just like wait and see mode so Um, i'm definitely not like crowning them a new regime but like i don't think it's necessarily this exact same old Knicks either so you're like tentatively optimistic but you've been burned before so you're you know yeah like i mean i don't know like at the end of the day like we still have to see what leon rose does like you know you could hire you know guys who are seemingly respected but scott perry was respected too and like you know you know uh, leon rose could still be an idiot and want to like do a bunch of dumb stuff so like there's no there's no real way to know but like i think i think it's like well, not to go too far into coaching, but I'd be curious because, like, they locked in Thibodeau early. And then the playoffs, like, shook out. And then Doc Rivers is available. Billy Donovan's available. Mike D'Antoni's available. Do you think they would have just stuck with Thibodeau if they waited, like, a month or two to make those decisions? I mean, that's that's something that's, like, been kind of, like, a point of contention. Um, my friend Kaylin kind of got some hate because she, like, said they should have waited to hire Thibodeau, which like I think objectively they should have because like um you know because Thibodeau I don't think anyone is really chomping at the bit to get him. He's like Leon Rose's and World Wide West's longtime buddy. So like I think you know they object I mean also they were the first team to make a hire. Objectively I think they could have waited a bit, but I also think like it, I think it was always going to be Thibodeau. Like the second they announced Leon Rose was the president, it was like immediately Thibodeau was like the first man like Right. And it's hard to say that in hindsight, because like, hey, the Clippers lost to Denver in game seven. Who would have predicted that? Yeah. And also, it's not like Doc Rivers would have necessarily signed with the Knicks over the Sixers. Right. And it would have been the same kind of headlines like, oh, retread old Doc Rivers, you know, because people are inclined to hate on the Knicks. But that's why you're here. That's why you're in charge of the team in our mock draft to change the culture. You're at pick eight. Was there anyone you were hoping would fall like within reasonable, realistic range? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm getting, I'm about to get my guy who I was hoping was going to fall. Uh, my man, I mean, mo- most of the guys that were taken were guys I liked, but I was hoping that my man, Isaac Okoro would drop. And I think he, yeah, so that's, that is going to be my pick, I believe. Your pick is Okoro. And what, and so you, he's a big guy, small forward, thick. Do you, do you pick him for defense or do you think he could be? A legitimate score around the paint i mean yeah i i like i almost kind of think his defense may even be like a little overrated i i kind of just like i i see him as kind of uh like i don't know a good a good basketball player like yeah i don't think he's actually just like a, a good defender i think like there's a ton of stuff he does in offense that i think he has like a ton of potential in that's like really uh endearing to me and uh like, yeah. So I mean, I, I think I think he could be like a pretty decent offensive player, even if he doesn't get a shot to fall. Um, so with very that, active guy, and and you like him more than let's say somebody a big name on the board like Obi Toppin, for example. Or was that was that the second choice? Who was like the sort of you know runner up in this debate? Um, I mean, oh yeah, I mean, I guess Obi Toppin is available. I mean, I'm not really a huge Obi Toppin guy. I so, I mean, really for me, I would have been arguing between him or like, uh, you know, or uh, Devin Vassell. Um, but 
so that that's really the argument for me. Yeah, Jack. I like va- Vassal or Vassal. I don't even know how to say it as well. You know, the, this kind of guy is not going to bust. You know, he's just going to be yeah. plug in. You know, three and D guy maybe. So that's that's normally the argument for me. Um, and I yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there's like any rela- reality where I see Vassal is bad. And I think there definitely is one where Okoro could be. I just like I well, he's think young. That, you know, he's a freshman. You know, he I I heard people rave about him. Like I watch him, and I'm like, I could see the him being really good around the rim potential star potential i guess there if he could be you know just really active and and just aggressive a little bit of downside but it's fine i mean like look if you're if it depends if you're treating this as a rebuild or not um you know like any the knicks like now if you have okoro on the team with rj barrett would your goal be to like slowly improve or do you think the knicks should pull the trigger on like a big move like chris paul or westbrook I mean, I'm I'm very much just like you know slow and steady. I I mean, definitely not Westbrook. I can see the reasoning for uh, Chris Paul if you're going for like a player, you know, using him as like a a fifty million dollar mentor. Um, but <laughs> like but generally, I'm I'm pretty much just like slow and steady. Just like pretty much, you know, instead of taking chances on like guys like Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook to also elevate the team, I'm just excited. Like, like just just keep throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like just, you know, like if it wasn't for me, I'd have like 15, you know, like young guys and G leaders. Right. And also like modern to go with wing players, like a Cora where it's like, you want bodies like that. Like those are the kind of guys that are in vogue. And if you could have three or four of them, that'd be even better. It's, um, it's low upside. I mean, low risk in that way. Like he is an NBA athlete. He's an NBA player in some fashion. And I think if you took like, you know, a crazy center or a very specific point guard, you're more limited in that way. If they don't work out, they're not going to be a starter. So Okoro, I think, has a, a good chance of that. I think it's a good pick. Um, thanks so much for coming on. And we'll check out all your stuff, all your lowlights, hopefully none featuring Okoro, because then you'd look pretty silly. Yeah, I guess. So. I'm, but I don't do them for rookies anyway. So oh, I that's smart. I have it. Yeah, you're off. Because everyone gets too mad if you do one for like a rookie. I know. I understand that. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Um, We'll check out your podcast and your low lights and talk soon. Bye. Good. Thanks so much for having me on. Ninth pick, Washington Wizards. You know, there's a lot of doubts and dissension about this team. And who better to do this than Tyler, the disgruntled co-host and producer? How are you doing, Tyler? Thanks for coming back to do this pick. I'm I'm good. I'm happy to be back. I'm currently I'm sitting in my office. Not no no like weird flex there, but in directly in front of me is a signed picture of Bradley Beal and a picture of John Wall with a piece of a game worn jersey. So I'm fired up to finally work for the Washington Wizards to make this ninth pick. Um, hopefully, you know Tommy Shepard is that the guy? The new GM was on Zach Lowe's podcast, and my brother Dondrek, who's not a fan of anybody, said he came across really poorly i don't know if what you oh, think of course of he of course he did dondrick hasn't hasn't met anybody he likes tommy shepherd <laughs> is a likable guy he's been around a, a long time i think the wizards they've done some good things they've overhauled a little bit of their analytics department as well i, I think it's a new day in dc obviously it matters if john wall is healthy but for the sake of this pick we're going to swing for the fences because if john wall is not healthy they're probably going to trade brad beal and they're this is probably going to be a total rebuild around a guy like Rui. And I don't know that I think Rui has a lot of star potential. So we're going to go for the biggest lottery ticket in this draft, Sandrick. Like, seriously, this is like you go on Bovada and it's like plus 25,000 if you hit your bet. 
We're going to take Alexei Pokusevsky. That's right. The slender man. I've been talking about him for a long time out of Serbia, seven feet, maybe 201 pounds, probably seven feet, 175 pounds. But he, in my opinion, is the biggest lottery ticket. There might be a 5% chance, 1% chance this lottery ticket comes in, but I think this is a better version of Kristaps Porzingis because I think he's more of a wing. If he hits, he's, he's very fluid. He can really shoot it. I, I think the biggest concerns are like, I don't know anything about his toughness and with his frame, I, I don't know how that's going to translate. But in terms of actual skills, I think he's the one guy that you could get this late that could actually turn into like a legitimate NBA superstar, at least if you're, if you're watching, right? Like if, you, if you're looking at it, you're like, and we've, we've talked about him before. I mean, obviously the concern is his frame. He's very tall and thin and like thin framed. I mean, I compared yeah. him on Reddit to two kids wearing a trench coat. Like he just looks like odd. It's yeah. Um, but I think you made a good point. Just a one final button on this. Like, 200 pounds, how's he going to bang around with Joel Embiid? But you don't, and I don't think teams view him as a center, right? You're viewing him as a pruner guy. He's probably a four, right? I think you're drafting him as a power forward. And I don't necessarily think he's going to be a three. Like we just, he's not Kevin Durant, right? Which is what you kind of see if you look at that guy. And even Kevin Durant is better served to play the four in the NBA today. Anyway, he's probably Dirk if, you know, then there's maybe a very small chance from an offensive perspective that he's similar to what we've seen from Anthony Davis and not in the sense that like he's going to be Anthony Davis or he's going to provide that value on the defensive end. But when you watch Anthony Davis and you watch him catch and rip through and take three dribbles and get to the rim or you watch him like one dribble pull up, it's like, wow, how can this guy do this at this size? Like that's kind of what you can visualize if Pokusevsky becomes a star. And I am in the camp that I think it could happen. There's and a better I, chance than not. It's, it's weird because he, I think if he stayed in Europe, not that he would, he would be like the Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis of Europe. And it's just like, how's it going to translate? You know, it's interesting not to go too long on this, but there was a lot of high school hype about this big matchup. Amoni Bates, Chet Holmgren. He's, he's, he's very similar to Chet Holmgren. That is absolutely right, which is where you were going to say. Right. Yeah. And he, you know, like a seven foot guy, you look at him, you're not buying it, but he has a skill set. You know, maybe he could be, you know, a power forward, small forward, who yeah. knows? Um, could be the future of basketball. We'll and, see. And let me, let me, let me say this for one second. Like he is young. Like he's still going to be 18 when the season starts, which we can't say about anybody else in this draft class. Everyone else will have turned 19. Although there were a couple guys that are young, like Anthony Edwards and LaMelo ball. So if you draft Pokusevsky, you bring him over here, you have him working out, you know, we're not talking about this guy contributing right away. Like, don't forget who Dirk was like his first year. Like this was just a guy that was in like the three point contest. Right. So I think you kind of look at that, but I would say like if Chet Holmgren was in this draft, he would probably go somewhere five to 14, right. As a, as an American super slender white guy. And I think that that's what you're looking at with a guy like Pokusevsky and, and, and a guy who has played, you know, pretty good talent. And I, I think like that's where if I'm the wizards, I don't think they'll do this personally. I know you keep telling me to stop hedging my picks like this, but like, it just doesn't make sense if you're the Wizards to not swing for the fences. Cause like if wall isn't healthy, then like it doesn't matter what kind of like win tomorrow piece you have if they're not a star. Right. So I just think like this pick makes the most sense of the players left in the draft. Yeah. You've kind of talked me into this kid as a, a flyer. I mean, why not? He's, he's Obi Toppin's on the board, but he's four years younger, as you mentioned. That's a lot of time. That's a whole Trump administration away. Um, Okay, so thanks for your pick. We'll come back to you to recap this draft, but we're going to continue on. Thanks, Dan. With the 10th pick, the Phoenix Suns 
you know, the forgotten team suddenly at the center of the NBA universe. Fittingly, right? The Suns. Um, Charlie Erling is here who actually has some street cred. You are the co-host of the Always Sunny in Phoenix podcast that is specifically about the Suns, right? Yes, sir. And I think that's such a good idea. I was just telling you before we started, like, if some people are interested in podcasting and everyone thinks they have an opinion worth sharing, few do, I don't, but you do because you took what I would recommend people, a very specific take. Like, there's not that many Suns podcasts out there, I imagine, and you're, is, I think, the best one of the bunch. Well, I appreciate that. There, there's a handful of us out there who have been doing this through thick and thin. And, you know, being from Phoenix, me and my co-host both, uh, Mitchell, we both make it to as many games as we can. We eat, breathe, sleep, Suns. So turning around, it's pretty easy to talk about them every weekend. We have a great time doing it. And I, I guess, yeah, we do have some street cred because... We've been doing it for almost four years now. So really, that's, that's the thick and thin. We've been through it. Well, and that's why I always say, like, listen to the fans. Because obviously, sometimes they, they paint a rosier picture than, than they should. But it doesn't matter if you're Xandrick Ellison. It doesn't matter if you're Zach Lowe. It doesn't matter whoever you are. You're not watching as much Suns basketball as Charlie is. So you would know about Kelly Oubre or Cam Johnson or you have a strong opinion on all these players that a lot of media people just like glance at the stat sheet and, and think about. Um, and so with that in mind, I'm going to put you on the spot because right now the million dollar question is this team, you know, under Monty Williams improved to like average. Then you had the great eight nose um, finish. And then there's just tons of talk. Chris Paul, everybody else as of this recording that hasn't happened yet. Do you want that to happen? Do you think it's time for the Suns to push that NOS button? I'd like to push the NOS button, but not with Chris Paul. Maybe not with Chris Paul pushing the button. I'm just so worried about what we're giving up for Chris Paul as two more years left on that contract, but he's up there in age. What's he going to be like for two full seasons? I'm trying to figure out if giving up assets that as in players right now, will Chris Paul want to come to a team that that gets scraped bare and has to trade away some good assets. But really I can see, you know, Rubio is a sensible guy to to push into this trade deal if you're getting Chris Paul. Then another piece, maybe it's Kelly Oubre. A lot of us love Kelly Oubre, what he brought to Phoenix, but man, Chris Paul a Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio deal to clear that salary, I can live with that. But yeah. I don't want to scrape the cupboards clean in this deal. So, and again, it might have happened by the time this airs, but what about just in general, the philosophy? Like whether it's Drew Holiday, whether it's Blake Griffin, Aaron Gordon, like do you want them to make a move or are you discontent? Like we finished eight no, we can make the playoffs next year. You know, the West is just such a monster. It's going to be tough for any team on the fringe to really push into the playoffs. Maybe a play-in tournament happens. Maybe that's a thing that comes around and that kind of opens the gates a little bit. But I'm ready to make the right trade to get into the playoffs. I I really am, but it needs to be something that lasts a little longer than what we might be getting from two years of Chris Paul. No, and I think you're right to, because I'm a little sour on Kelly Oubre more than most, I think. So I think if you, if for your perspective, if you can keep Booker and 
Bridges and Cam Johnson and Aiton, I think the rest are tradable, right? Is that how you feel? Absolutely. Yeah. Any anyone other than those guys you just said, they can be part of this deal. I don't think anyone would be too hurt over that. Um, so without knowing the deal puts you as a GM in a difficult spot. But the draft must soldier on. Was there anyone you were hoping would fall or that you guys have an eye on in a dream world? I mean, in a dream world, Obi Toppin isn't a bad guy falling all the way down there, especially with or without Chris Paul. If Kelly Oubre is out the door in a Chris Paul trade or next year we don't resign him, he signs a fat deal somewhere else. I think Obi Toppin is kind of a pipe dream falling to 10. Well, he did, did fall to 10 in our mock draft. Is that your official pick? That's my official pick. I, I just have to say it. I was so shocked that Obi <laughs> was still there. I mean, I got to lead with that. Well, you know, I think my co-host Tyler is, is anti-Obi Top. He's been leading the bandwagon. So maybe like uh, people we talk to in our circles, it's like a Trump rally, you know, like everyone's thinking the same thing. So we're all anti-Obi Top in here because of Tyler. But you're right. I, I heard somebody today, Draft Express, saying, he might be the favorite for rookie of the year. He's he's older. He was productive. Um, on the Suns, you play him with Aiden. I think he could do it, or as a small ball center. Um, do you think he is it something that you think is a great fit, or is just like, hey, this guy's the best player that I see on the board right now? I think he's the best player I see on the board and a decent fit. You know, like I said, with or without Kelly, we, we need a guy that can slide in there. And word is that both Baines and Kaminsky. This is from John Gambadoro from Arizona Sports. He says that more than likely those two won't be on the Suns next season. So we're looking for a big guy, Obi Toppin, a guy who played a lot of center at Dayton, but maybe looks to be more of a power forward in the NBA. I think he slides in, like you said, with next to Aiton. I think that'd be nice. And then if we're going small, throw him at the five and see what happens. That's a nice change of pace, too, to have that in your back pocket. I think it's a good pick. I can tell you're happy with it. I see the smile. I think everyone in Suns Nation is going to be happy. And so thanks so much. I, I hope we talk more. If, the, if there is a Chris Paul trade or mega deal with the Suns, we'll have you for like a long form if you're, if you're not too swamped with the celebration or the depression, depending on how much you give up. I don't know what it'll be yet. It'll be, it'll be some sort of celebration or uh, maybe the opposite. I, I don't know yet. It's the the fun of dealing. Um, Thanks so much, Charlie. Uh, I'll talk soon. You bet. Thank you. With the 11th pick, an organization in the lottery for the first time in, I think, nearly 20 years, they've missed the playoffs. The San Antonio Spurs need a new leadership, need some, you know, some visionary. And one of my favorite online presidents, Alan Aguirre, thank you so much for joining us. And people who might not know you from NBA, I know you because you're a huge MTV Challenge super fan and you write really well about the MTV Challenges, which is one of my favorite shows. And how can people find your challenge stuff? Uh, they can find my challenge stuff by just looking at me on Twitter at the Alan Aguirre, uh, A-G-U-I-R-R-E, or just typing Alan Aguirre Medium on Google and hundreds of articles will pop up. If you Google a challenge competitor, one of my articles will also probably be at the top of the Google as well. So if you like the challenge, I write some good stuff about it. At least I think so. Or people tell no, me definitely. So. And that's like, I was joking with you pre recording, like my brother and I are huge challenge fans. And you think you're like in this, no one else would ever understand. And then 
you know, that's what's so great about the internet. Suddenly you find like the Allen types who are like even bigger challenge fans than you are. And you could read all about it and enjoy their content. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. And you're also a huge NBA fan. That's why you're on, of course, too. We're not just here to talk about Cara Maria um, and Johnny Bananas. So we assigned you the Spurs. And it's a weird position because they're, they're sinking out of the playoffs for the first time in a while. When you were sort of like the mock GM here, did you think, how do I want to get back in the playoffs next year? Or is this more of like, I want to think long-term rebuild? One of the big things is that I feel like this draft, uh, despite it being weak, is really strong in the point guard slash combo guard position. But when you look at the Spurs roster, two of their best young players are DeJounte Murray and uh, Devin White. So Derek White, my bad. <laughs> I know so many Devin White. Uh, so when they have those two players right there, you, you're not going to draft a guard because you already have that you know, worked out for you for the next few years. So you have to look at the wings. And once it gets down to 11, most of the good wings are gone. And on top of that, their center position is also pretty well done with LaMarcus Aldridge. And they have some other guys too, like, like Pirtle. So as a whole, we were looking at the power forward, small forward position. That makes sense. Because, yeah, you're right. Like Aldridge, we think of him as a power forward. He's playing almost exclusively center these days. And he might get traded anyway. So there's definitely an open lane there. You know, Rudy Gay's okay, you know. But you want somebody in the future. So who, who are you looking at? Who do you think is like the next starting power forward for the, the Spurs? We are going to select Patrick Williams from Florida State. Uh, on top of that, I will say this right now, he most likely does not play year one. He most likely does not play until the second half of year two, if anything, if the Spurs system tells you, you know, how they mold players. I mean, Der- Derek White didn't play a lot his first season at all and just came out of nowhere, really, his second season. Uh, so when it comes to, or did you freeze? No. Okay, my bad. Apologies. Uh, so when it comes to these players, uh, uh, he's someone who has a lot of raw talent, a lot of raw athleticism, some potential shooting ability, and the Spurs will focus on building his shooting and exercising his bad decision-making because there is a great athlete there. It just, will fans see it immediately? Probably not. But well, that's, that's the Spurs' okay. way of going. You're right. Like Lonnie Walker was like considered like an electric scorer, and we really haven't seen a ton of him. And I think he'll eventually get there. You know, he'll be a featured part. Um, with Patrick Williams, you're the same thing. Like he didn't even start as a freshman, you know, Florida state kind of slow plays their guys. And it's funny, you know, this is, you know, interesting pick because the time we're recording this, maybe a few days before the draft, um, he's available here. If we had started all our recordings, maybe a a week later, he might not even be available. He seems like a guy who's been rising and rising in in the draft process. And do you think that's just a function of like, the mystery, the athleticism, like what do you think his like best case scenario would be? I think the best case scenario would be a more athletic Marvin Williams. Uh, I mean, that's a guy who literally like in his draft rises all the way up to number two after also being a sixth man in college back in the day. Uh, so that's the comparison for me because this draft is just, I mean, it's, it's pretty evidently weak. Uh, and yeah, I mean... <laughs> getting a more athletic Marvin Williams isn't a bad thing in a draft where, you know, people think that guys who are going to get picked in the top five may bust out in a few years. Absolutely. And, and it'd be a good pick where it's like, he's just a live active body. If he doesn't get there, he's not a superstar. Then he, at least you think would be a starter like Marvin Williams was for the majority of his career. Um, so it's a good pick and hope to talk to you more soon about the challenge you know, everyone should be looking forward to that. in December MTV challenge. If you don't watch because you're too good for it, 
it's one of the biggest mistakes of your life. You got to watch MTV Challenge, one of the best shows on TV, and you got to read Alan's stuff. So get on that. That's your homework assignment. Thanks so much for being here. All right, no problem. Thanks, man. Next up, pick number 12. The Sacramento Kings have hired me, Zandra Gallison, to do this pick. And when we assigned this, I was really excited to do this mock draft. That's why we're doing this whole silly exercise because I like putting myself in the shoes of a GM, especially, you know, when your guy doesn't, isn't, doesn't fall and you have to make tough decisions. But unfortunately, this didn't happen. It didn't break the way I wanted because somebody they think is an obvious pick is, is sitting there, Devin Vassell from Florida State. And it's not about a fit. He, I just think he's somebody who fits on a virtually every team, a 3 and D wing. You know, he's 6'7", a good defender. He shot really well from three in college, 42%, 42%. I don't anticipate that. I think he'll be, you know, an average to above average three-point shooter, maybe like a Josh Richardson or something like that. And that might not sound great, but that's the kind of guy who's going to be making, you know, $10, $15 million a year and being a starter for a long time. So I think he fits this team with the Kings. You know, he could play with Buddy Heald. He could play with Bogdanovich. I think it's just an obvious pick, so I'm not spending a lot of time on that pick. Instead, we're going to move to number 13, the New Orleans Pelicans. They're just a much more interesting team. There's just so much up and down, so much drama. And so I had to bring in somebody who brings a drama night to night. If this is a cast of characters, he'd be like our Oscar the Crouch. My brother, Dondrick Ellison, also known as the Ombudsman, the chief critic for our show. Welcome back, Dondrick. Hey, um, I already completely disagree with you. Well, that's that... why you're here. I was going to say, because you, <laughs> every week, you're my brother, but you, you text me, the show is terrible. You guys are awful <laughs> for this, no, this reason. Say, so, what, so what did I do wrong in the, in the two-minute introduction? I think Tyler is good. Tyler Tyler's brings him in. You're just some schlub who has a podcast. That's true. So I disagree because I don't think it's that – the. I'm more of a draft nihilist. Okay. I think the draft is matters when you have a favorite team, which many people do to be fair. And you can get in like, Oh, I'm excited about my favorite team is going to draft it. You know, I'm drafting at 13. Right. So I can get excited if I'm a Pelicans fan, or if you're like a, you have an NBA podcast and you're like a super fan, but in reality, it's like, who knows when you're drafting 13, you're just hoping that you're going to get someone that sticks in the league. And then really at this spot, the person's not going to be on your team by the time they get good anyway, if they well, do get it depends. good. It depends. I mean, if you're, if you draft like a college senior, like at your spot, you're at 13. And the other reason I wanted to sign you New Orleans is because your brand is being kind of curmudgeon. Oh yeah. And you I have a lot on that. Everyone was super excited about Zion Williamson and you immediately were like, I don't buy this guy as a superstar. <laughs> so you're building a team around a guy that you don't necessarily, why don't you buy Zion being a star? Well, I mean, I was right about this. I was proven right. And well, okay. So Zion is not a star. I don't call him Zion Williamson. I call him by his nickname, Zion, big baby Williamson, <laughs> Zion, tractor trailer Williamson. <laughs> He is, his ceiling, his absolute ceiling, and this is his ceiling. I know you think his ceiling is the best player ever, whatever. His ceiling in an actual hard truth way is Blake Griffin. Yes, I agree with that. And we forget that Blake Griffin, when he was good, was very good and people were really excited about him. He was one of the top marketable players in the league. 
Um, but now people think he's trash and that's his ceiling. Uh, I think Zion, his problem, which I'll talk about when I get into my draft, because there's this urge to like, what's the fit with the team mm-hmm. you're drafting, which is sort of a trap that we fall into. And I fall into with my pick because Zion, the biggest problem, yes, there's the weight. I think that he's not going to be able to keep his weight down. I think that he's like, there's echoes of Sean Kemp, who again was very exciting and good, but just got too overweight and then couldn't be Sean Kemp anymore. And in the bubble, I'm not the first to say this. I predicted it before he came back to the bubble and people said he was gonna be amazing. I've never seen someone so bad at defense yeah. as him. Well, and maybe there's stats that he's not. I, listen, I, it's hard to notice when someone's bad at defense individually. You know, sometimes you'll see if they they lose their player and they're watching the ball. He just was could not keep up with anything on defense. Well, so anything that he's right. doing, you, and I, back. and that certainly it bears out in the stats. You're not you're not wrong. Your eye test is correct. Um, and there's two issues. One is is the weight, you know, and injuries. Maybe he's just slow re- to react and like a fundamental issue. He's not very long. You know, he's, he's not, his wingspan, I think is like six ten or something, which is he's not is, very tall either. Yeah, and I he's think like he's six, one, six, six, ten he has an elite skill. I'm not taking this away. He's an one elite skill to me, which is he's very good. He doesn't need to gather himself when he shoots close to the basket. Like some people need to bring it down and do this whole, you know, rotation uh, with their body, but he's very good around the basket and just putting up his shots really quickly, not necessarily even dunking it. And he's good. And that's why he has a good free will percentage. But that only works for so long. I mean, eventually people are going to figure out this chubby guy is just going toward the basket and not moving. Um, well, so and, I, and, you know, you, you're astute because that's been an issue with Blake Griffin. Like the lack of length has hurt him on defense and it's limited him from playing the center spot, which he probably should these days. And um, it's been a longstanding issue for, for Blake Griffin. And then, and it's been, hard for his teams to figure out a fit. Like, do you put a shot blocker next to him with DeAndre Jordan? Do you play him at the five? How do you build around an unconventional player? So were you thinking that with your pick or are you just like, I don't, I don't think Zion's the guy. So I'm just going to build best player available. Well, I was conflicted because one, I'm thinking it doesn't, you just take the best player. They're probably not going to be on your team anyway. I mean, you just hope they hit. And if you have a good rotation player, that's as good as you're getting, I think. Well, that's why you make for a good press conference to introduce the. the (laughs) And then the other is like, well, you have Zion, and part of you would think that was Van. I think they'll be better next year with because they have a real coach as opposed to Alvin Gentry, Um, and like maybe it's going to be echoes of Orlando where you have shooting around Zion and space the floor, and then maybe you're looking at an Aaron Neesmith then, who's this great shooter. Um. But you, I'm thinking this is where I found the trap of fit around Zion. I think you need defenders around him because I think he is an otherworldly bad defensive liability. So, and I, I think Neesmith, looking at his tape, he, he doesn't look like he, I, there's, I don't want to go too much into it. Yeah, he, not super athletic. Um, and he back. doesn't have a quick release to me, which I think uh, hinders his ability to be a real he wasn't really running off screens, shooting quickly like a Duncan Robinson or Kyle Korver type, but he's, he can shoot, which is good, but I don't think he's a good fit. So um, I was thinking someone that can maybe be a good defensive compliment and, and maybe can just seem like an NBA player, stick in the league and be in the rotation. 
so I was going to go with Josh Green. And is that your official pick from Arizona, the the wing from Arizona? Yeah. Yeah. I think that you got to have someone that can be a defensive presence or at least competent, if not really good. And then it's not going to be so bad offensively that they can't stick in the league. And I think he has potential at least. No, I agree. I think that's a good pick. And I'm like stunned when I read about, you know, none of us are experts, but watching guys and watching their highlights, watching their, um, stats and their backstories and their bios and I, I did and interviews. Like I'm surprised Josh Green is not getting more buzz. Like he is somebody who was a top ten recruit in high school, went to Arizona, played pretty well, and you know, he not considered a great shooter. He thought shot 36 from three, which is fine. Very good athlete, good defender. He's a pretty good passer. I think he's a good teammate. And I think you're right. That might not read as a superstar, but that's somebody who's gonna be in the NBA for a long time, unless he's like, I I don't know if anyone's going to be in the NBA for a long time at this point. You can't say that. I like that. He shoots free throws pretty well. I think that's, you know, something to hang a good prognosticating. Yeah, that's true. And steals, he gets steals. Those are all good indications that he has something here. Um, I think that's a good pick. And I think, you know, you didn't go too deep into fit, but the Pelicans like, they need to get bigger on the wing. You're right. Like, as you know, to make up for Zion's lack of length and they were playing very small at small forward this year. They played a lot of Drew holiday. They played a lot of Josh Hart, like shooting guard point guard types. And so to get a guy who's six, 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 10 wingspan, um, I think is really going to help them. So I think that's a good pick. You're negative, but I'm positive, especially on this pick. Thank you, Dondrick for, for putting aside your skepticism and making a good pick for us. <laughs> no problem. Take care. The last pick in the draft, 14 overall, big shoes to fill. Danny Ainge is usually very good at this process, but I think we found somebody better. The analytical guru, wonder kid in the podcast, Tal Bogare, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And you, as people know, you're, you put out great stuff um, online, machine learning, all this stuff, but you've been, I would say, away at college. Because you're, you know, this young prodigy and then you went off to Yale. We want to know, our listeners want to know what happened to you. You started last fall. So how does that like, coronavirus affect like being a college kid? Um, I mean, it's, it's a lot different as you would expect. Like this semester, I'm not on campus because sophomores at Yale aren't allowed to be on campus for a semester. And so the whole experience is much different because like a lot of people know a big part is the social aspect and the types of on-campus opportunities that schools can offer. So I mean, yeah, it's been much different. Do they, not to bash Yale, this is all colleges, do they make you pay full tuition for not being there? Yeah. They do. All right. (laughs) I get it. I mean, like I understand (laughs) It sounds like a ripoff, but if you're going to Yale, like in the long run, that looks good. You know, even if you didn't meet like the random girl at the bar that freshman year, you still get a lot out of it, I guess. But it also gives you a lot of time to study your pick. So you're a big boss. <laughs> um, you're sitting there at 14. Right. What's your general approach to this draft? You're just looking to collect extra assets or you actually think there's a need that can be filled here? Um. So I think in general when looking at the draft, I don't really look at need because I think like 
with the exception of like Sansa who like process six or is it like only drafting centers that like you'll pretty much like the talent will work itself out and it's like like you could have a similar type of thing like oh why would you take um or, or like why would you bring over Gordon Hayward if you already had two other wings in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and it's like it works out because wings are flexible and like the NBA in general is becoming more flexible so I think in general I'll always go for just whoever I think is the best available player in terms of long-term potential and not so much like need where I think especially for the Celtics a lot of people think of like oh they really need a good big man but like there isn't really a good big man and I'm not going to like pass up a really good guard or wing prospect for an, a mediocre big man who might not be on the team in a couple years and I'm curious about your process obviously this is a fake silly exercise but because you know so much about stats do you did you look at the stats did you have a process for that or did you combine that with just sort of watching the guys like how did you sort of stack your mock big board um so this year it, it usually i run some type of analysis and put it up on my blog i haven't done it this year yet just because the time frame is a bit weird but i think in general um like the stats, at least for draft stuff, isn't anything super out of the ordinary where I don't think I'll ever see something, at least in the past two years that I've done it, where like some player who looks really terrible has like an amazing grade and then like, oh, they'll be really good. Like I think the watching them actually play is still very important and that the stats is just to give more information and it's not just like a decision by itself based on the stats. You know, one thing I would recommend, because you're ahead of the curve and you may be ahead of me here, but it's always like trying to figure out how do you project, you know, college stat, how, you know, a lot of kids played overseas now. It's hard to know what is the, you know, Australian stats translate because so many people are going to be playing in the G League next year, um, like that select team of super recruits. I think there is something to be said for like, they're going to have very limited games. You know, I think they're only playing a few games competitively, but like, if there was a way to translate those stats and say like, Hey, if Jalen green who's a super prospect next year shot, you know, 60% true shooting in the G league that translates to 55% as a rookie or something like that. It would be actually nice to know um, if they're all playing in the same environment in the future to be able to like track that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really tough also just because of the difference in competition where like, Dragon Bender a couple of years ago when he was a top pick, then he was playing, or I mean, he was in the Euro League, and like the Euro League is a much higher level of competition than college, so he didn't really play, and it was just really hard to project his, his stats or just do anything analytical when he's only playing very few games and he's playing very few minutes. That's mostly against end of bench guys, and also I mean in terms of like film watching, then it's a similar type of problem where he's not getting so many meaningful minutes and he doesn't have like much to go off in general. Um, so I'm curious, enough suspense. We've built it for a while because at this pick, it's kind of wide open. I could see you picking 20 different guys here. So um, with the 14th pick, who does Tal think is going to be the best on the board? Uh, I think it's Tyrell Terry. Oh, that makes sense. Smart kid too. You maybe <laughs> know him. Do you actually, do you, are you in a study group with him? Is that part of this? No. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so why do you like Tyrell Terry? Shooter from freshman from Stanford. Originally listed 6'1", now he's apparently 6'3". Uh, what do you see him as in the NBA? 
Um, well, I think a lot of the comparisons I've seen is kind of like a, like CJ McCollum, or if you're like really reaching and believe in his full potential, then maybe something like Trey Young or Seth Curry. But and, and those are more to his like ability to shoot really well and his ball handling and pick and roll play, which are all amazing. But then also there, even if he doesn't really develop as a type of floor general that you would want, which I, I think he will, then he still has incredible off-ball movement. So then still, worst case, he could, or not really worst case, because Duncan Robinson is still a very good player, but he has a lot of those similar traits of like a Duncan Robinson or J.J. Redick where he has amazing off-ball movement and a quick release, and like he's very good off catch and shoot and screens and just very flexible. Well, I think it, it makes a lot of sense, obviously, for the reasons you mentioned. In a vacuum, hey, maybe he's the best player on the board. And then I do think there's a fit here because, you know, Kemba Walker is probably going to be done starting, I don't know when his contract, I'm looking it up, maybe he has two years left on his contract, I'm not sure. Um but you want somebody in that role, and, and on the Celtics, he has three years left. Um, you don't necessarily need a ball dominant point guard, especially if you know if you're playing more of like a wing ball approach. So, do you think he's somebody who could start at that spot for them in the future? Let's say 2022, 23. Um, yeah, I think fit wise, he could be really good because he could give, like, I, I think something that people talk about a lot with the Celtics when Kemba isn't playing is like when he's not playing, who's going to be the type of instant offense guy where like Tatum and Brown aren't last year, at least they weren't developed enough as playmakers and as ball handlers to really carry a full offensive load. So he would help a lot with that. And then also just in terms of lineup fit, then he, a big thing that people talk about is his defensive weakness. And also just like in general, if you're, if you want him to be a big off ball guy, then like it would be nice to have other ball handlers with him. So then having, you know, Smart and Brown is a really ideal fit where Smart is a great floor general by himself. So you can give him opportunities to go off ball, but he can also cover his defensive weaknesses and help him on that end. Uh, it makes sense. It's a great logic, great fit. Uh, I think Celtics fans would be very happy. I think they'd be happy with you too. That's my new plan too. Danny Ainge, maybe he has three years left. And then you just slide right in. Um, I think that makes sense. So we'll talk about that in the future. Thanks so much, Tal, for coming on. Thank you. That's it. That's our mock draft. We made it. We made it to the end of the road. If you made it with me, you are a super fan. And you will be praised at the pearly gates. So Tyler is back, that crab bone, to help recap the draft. Tyler, did you listen to everybody's pick? I, I did listen to everyone's pick. Because I had the, the, I was fortunate enough to be the one to edit everyone's pick. So your the brainchild of you became my I don't know ugly stepchild, right? Like redheaded <laughs> well, stepchild. That, you can't say in, that now in twenty twenty, right? That's right, redheaded, redheaded stepchild. Well, they don't have like a union. I don't think they don't have like an organization really. Um, so to recap, if you missed it, if you skimmed around, number one, Minnesota. The great Charles took Anthony Edwards. Second, Golden State, Kendall Baker took Denny, uh, Israeli kid. You were on the clock for Charlotte. You took LaMelo. Um, the underdog guys were at four and five, Anchu and Chris. They went Killian Hayes, James Weissman. I was on the clock for Atlanta, took um, Anyeko Kongwu. Blake J. Harris took Tyrese Halberton at seven. The great Budum took Isaac Okoro at eight. You were back on. You took the Slenderman, Pokoskevsky at nine. 10, Charlie with uh, the Underdog Network took Obi Toppin. 
Allen at 11 took Patrick Williams. I was back on, happy to take Devin Vassell at 12. Um, my brother Dondrick took Josh Green, the big athlete, at 13. And Tal Bogare took Tyrell Terry at 14. Um, Tyler, you have strong opinions. I don't want to bash anyone because we really appreciate people coming on and making their picks and taking it seriously. Everyone did do their research. Of those 14 picks, is there one that you think would have been like the steal, the best pick of the draft? Yeah, I really like... I, I hate to do this because you know that I am biased about Tal, but I, I really like Tyrell Terry uh, to Boston. I think that makes a ton of sense. They have a lot of picks. He's an upside guy. They they need some shooting. They they do have Kemba Walker, but like having another long point guard who can come in and play makes sense for them. And so I, I like that pick. The other pick that I, I really do like a lot, and I know I've been very critical of him, I do think Phoenix is in a situation where they're ready to compete and they think they're ready to compete. So getting a guy like Obi Toppin at 10, who I don't think has a superstar ceiling, and I, I do think there's some bust potential, but like at the 10th pick, I think you minimize a lot of like what your expectations are for him. So getting a guy like Obi Toppin, who can definitely play with Booker and DeAndre Ayton, and then you surround them with shooters, and maybe Obi can make a shot too, I don't know. But like I think that's a good pick for Phoenix. I think Charlie at 10 getting a guy like Obi who can come in and play right away when they're trying to compete for that like six to eight spot in the West is pretty sneaky, good value. You know, and I want to say one other thing, Zan, uh, we didn't have anybody go like totally crazy, right? Like the, the, the no. I, I took the slender man a little bit higher than he's been projected. And I've been talking about him now for a couple months and then Tyrell Terry's a little bit higher than expected, but you know, Patrick Williams in San Antonio, I think that's a name that people who haven't really been following super close probably haven't heard, but we've seen mock draft sites have Patrick Williams all the way up to seven. So I think that we had people on that, you know, did their research and, and made pretty reasonable picks for, for their spots. Right. Like nobody was out of order being like, let's take Nico Mannion at five, you know? Everyone took it seriously. And also it's it's kind of the fun part of the draft. I know people aren't excited about the talent, but you can really make an argument for, you know, any of these 14 guys you know, five spots higher or five spots lower than they went, you know, it's going to be kind of a fun draft to see. Um, and to that point, like the picks that I would look at here, like I'm not a Lamella ball fan, but a lot of people say he's the clear best pick. So if you can get him at three, great. Um, Killian Hayes, some people, the ringer thinks he's the best player in the whole draft. And so do the underdog guys. Um, so if they can get him at four, the bulls, that would be a great pick. I don't personally know about either of that, but it's possible. It's possible the best player in this draft could go like 12th overall. Definitely. I do want to tout two quick betting things uh, on Bovada. If you want to kind of guarantee yourself making money, I think it would be very smart to bet both James Wiseman and LaMelo Ball over like after the 2.5 picks because if given their odds right now, there's a chance that they both go after three, I would say. But go three or after, as you saw in our draft. But I also think there is some chance that Wiseman goes early. Like, I think Wiseman could go two. I feel pretty comfortable that some collection of one, two, and three is going to be Edwards, Ball, and Wiseman. But if you, given the plus odds for both those two guys, if you were to bet on both of them, you would guarantee to make yourself money if you bet the same amount. So that's one. And then the other one on Bovada, I would absolutely take – the under on the slender man's draft stock. And I, I feel super comfortable saying that. It? Like, 
I don't know right now. It was 15 and a half the other yeah, day. So it's rising, I think. But um, so you want, you're saying higher. He'll go higher. No. I, yeah, he'll go higher. He, he's right. just the type of guy that- You like, mean like he'll be higher towards number one, right? Yes, it's correct. Like he would, yeah. I, I feel very confident that he's going to go into the lottery. So if you're looking on there, if you're looking on Bovada and like you see his odds are like, let's take him outside the lottery, I, I would feel very comfortable that someone drafts him. And like the, the one pick that I don't think he'll get past Boston at 14. Given that they have three picks, they're not packaging anything. That's the type of lottery ticket that you see somebody take when they have other picks to use. And so I don't, I don't think there's any way if he's on the board at 14, he gets past Boston, just knowing what we know about Boston. And so if you can get him odds to, to get in the lottery, he's the guy that I would take. But this show is I'm predicting I'm, yeah, it was a fun show. I mean, for us to do, hopefully it was okay to listen to. I'm predicting at least it's not, I don't know if it's on the board, but at least one, fun trade i think there's going to be one shake-up trade at least one really bad suit at least one really awkward interview and that's so why what, people watch so what's who's the guy if you're we predicted a little bit last week and you were pretty big like drew holiday but like are you sticking with drew holiday is the guy the biggest name that's going to get moved on draft night excluding picks like if somebody mm-hmm. trades for the number one pick like i'm not counting that i think it's gonna be chris paul i think okay. I think they need. They realize that they need to make a move. Chris Paul wants to make a move. Where there's a will, there's a way. I think he'll, you know, I think it's the Knicks. It's like, you know, who are the Knicks going to throw dumb money at? And it's going to be either Westbrook or Paul. And I think they'll lean to Paul because they have sort of a prior history um, yeah. together. Yeah, and there's some chance. I don't think Charlotte would move the three pick for Russell Westbrook, but I could see Charlotte on draft night doing like 32 32- Batum's contract and then like Miles Bridges for Russell Westbrook like we could or Malik Monk like we could see that happen and I think there's a good chance to see Russell Westbrook also get moved on draft night but draft is this coming Wednesday Wednesday. night it's gonna be fun and thanks again to everyone for showing up and doing their pick Um, I hope they had fun I always love doing this. Um, yeah, you love you're addicted to mock drafts it's insane your your prospects are like people like drafts but well, you, you know, you hate that for an NBA guy, you hate drafts, you hate speculating. Well, I don't like, hate, no, 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 I don't hate drafts. I just, I just think that like we put a ton of stock into it. And like you look at this year in the playoffs and like Tyler Hero was awesome. But like, no, other, other than that, the only like rookies in the rotation, it was like Grant Williams, right? Like, so I'm fine with the draft, but in a year like this where we don't know if there's a star, it just seems so unlikely that any of these guys are going to factor into the season coming up. And that's why it's like, Oh, like who's, who's going one? Like, who are we moving around? And it's like, I don't know. Like Like, it it. doesn't matter, you know, not yet at least. I'm a man of the people. I know what the people want. You're an aristocrat. You poo poo (laughs) at what people want. Yeah. uh, And you're complaining about editing. I don't want to edit. That's a peasant. Next week's show. We're going to sign off. Like you're from Downton Abbey. Are you, do you live in Downton Abbey? We'll do a Downton Abbey prospects draft. There's gotta be some young actors and actresses in that show that you really like coming up in the future. Anyway, it'll be free agency starts (laughs) literally right after the draft. So we will be back next week. Probably we'll recap a little bit of the draft, but this was kind of our draft show. We'll recap a tiny bit of the draft and then, I'm guessing that we're going to have a lot of free agency to talk yes. about next week. So we will include all the trades and free agency. And you'll agency. try to catch up on Downton Abbey because it's been over for about five years. It's but. a good show. It's a good show. But anyway, yeah. uh, Xander Gallison at gmail.com. Send us an email and Xan underscore Ellison on Twitter and Reddit. You can get all his fire takes. Sometimes he insults me. Sometimes he insults politics. A lot of times it's just weird sports takes. But Xan, we'll be back next week. Take it's care. always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.